This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. It is now October and the heat of summer appears to have passed us by. At least, let's hope. This is our election program, the last show we have before next Tuesdays, going to the polls, where California will mercifully end this election fiasco that has focused the eyes of the world with a great deal of derision upon the Golden State. Uh, In our second segment today, we're going to speak with Mr. A.G. Block, the editor of the well-respected California Journal, probably the best source of what goes on inside our state capitol. And, uh, you know, we are the world's fifth largest economy, and what goes on in our legislature uh, affects a lot of people and determines where a lot of money gets spent. Uh, It's often said that um, the capital is a company town, and the company is the state government. And uh, I was very curious to hear what Mr. Block would have to say about this election, and, um, well, we'll get to hear that in segment number two. We're going to also uh, talk to some other interesting local people. Martin Anaya over at Access Sacramento will tell us a bit about the film festival that's going to go on this weekend. And we will also have a talk with um, Jeffrey Kravitz, who is one of the other public affairs hosts here on KDVS. Jeff Kravitz's show, Panic Attack, is brought to you every other Tuesday in the 5 p.m. slot here at 90.3 FM. And I gotta tell you, I'll be glad when this abortion of an election is behind us. I went out yesterday in my capacity as your reporter to see the Schwarzenegger rally. Now, I only knew there was going to be a Schwarzenegger rally because I just happened to stumble into the information the day before from one of the Democratic Party operatives who was going to go there to protest. So, sure enough, I went down there yesterday, and even though it was a town hall meeting, supposedly, in Sacramento... It was invitation only, and apparently everyone had been invited in from Elk Grove and Roseville. Uh, There was a lot of people showing up, all dressed looking like, uh, you know, suburbanites. It's Arnold's crowd. Protesting were a bunch of people who had shown specifically to blow whistles and to use bullhorns and to hold signs to show they didn't think too much of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, It was a pretty contrived affair on both sides of the street. It was contrived because everyone was brought in to pretend it was a Sacramento town meeting from the suburbs. And it was contrived because (laughs) the Democrats got the people out in force to blow whistles and, you know, shout through bullhorns. I've had about enough of this particular uh, episode of Democracy. And I guess our last comment on the election ought to be uh, what we're recommending that you do. In elections past, we've made numerous such recommendations. Well, both my producer and myself are going to vote no on the recall. We think it is wrong, not out of any love of Gray Davis, believe you me, but simply because the whole process of Daryl Issa buying a recall is wrong. My producer uh, does not know who he's going to vote for. All he's saying is that it's not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I honestly don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I find Arnold Schwarzenegger a lot less offensive than the typical right-wingers that are controlling the GOP throughout the rest of the nation. At the same time, if we put him in office as a moderate Republican, we're still playing into the hands of the people that, you know, hooked up this whole terrible recall process. I don't know what I'm going to do. 53 
<laughs> my producer's going to vote no. I don't know what to do about this idea of committing funds. Most people don't know what to do on this. Uh, 54, my producer's voting no. I'm voting yes. We, had Ward Con- we didn't have Ward Connolly on our program, but we assisted uh, in production for him his appearance on uh, Steve Valentino's program, Stop Making Sense. And uh, I was very convinced, having heard uh, Mr. Connolly, that uh, this is probably a good thing. There are many arguments being offered from a medical standpoint, and why it's important medically that this not be done. There are exemptions in there. That is a specious argument. And so, uh, you know, we're split on it. One says yes, one says no. But you, of course, get to make up your mind in the voting booth on Tuesday. I got to say in this election, good luck. We have so much ground to cover, I just don't know where to begin. Um, I'm sure you've heard, UC Davis will not be getting a bioweapons laboratory in the future. Now, I know it's called a bio-research laboratory. My question has always been, if you're just doing defensive research, why are you involving the people that make hydrogen bombs in the process? There's a very fine line between research done for defensive purposes when it comes to bioweapons and for offensive purposes. In fact, we were supposed to have dismantled our offensive capabilities many decades ago, but we never did because we could always say we're doing research for defensive purposes. Anyway, in this matter, California's loss is Texas's gain. Frankly, they're welcome to it. A lot of people have passed away of late. Um, A few months back, we commented on this show about the passing of David Brinkley and of movie actor Gregory Peck. We're still working on a follow-up on that story about Lenny Reifenstahl passing away, the grand uh, grandmother, I guess, of political spin. Uh, Our special media correspondent and myself will be watching Triumph of the Will tonight, reporting uh, to you about that very famous movie, and a little bit more about Lenny Reifenstahl on next week's program. But uh, of late, quite a few American celebrities have passed on. Donald O'Connor, the famous uh, uh, dancer who made one of his most memorable appearances in The Immortal Singing in the Rain, uh, passed away. Uh, Johnny Cash, of course, um, uh, left us a couple weeks ago, and so did uh, TV actor John Ritter, who I did not realize was the son of singer Tex Ritter. Warren Zevon also has passed away. I think we should just have a kind of a commemoration show of a lot of these people and talk a little bit more about them. That won't be today's show. It disturbs me when I see a lot of people who are really people of some stature, the David Brinkley's, uh, the, the Gregory Peck uh, uh, pass away. I'm also disturbed when I see people like uh, the kid that played Whitey on the old Leave it to Beaver program pass away at age 53 this week. That's disturbing. Equally disturbing is the passing of British rock singer Robert Palmer, who passed away at age 54. This is cutting a little too close to home. The one that gets me the most of late is the death of George Plimpton. On our very first program here on KDVS, when uh, Dr. Andy Jones was uh, gracious enough to loan us some of his airtime, we came on and told uh, a little story that I got from George Plimpton. And I think it'd be time to repeat that now. Dr. Andy's program comes to you every Wednesday on this, uh, this same station. It's called Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. And uh, on our first appearance, we decided to do a bit of poetry. And I was able to uh, recite on the program the only poem that I have actually committed to memory. 
I heard it um, read on television by Mr. George Plimpton some time ago, and I thought, now that's one worth committing to memory. So let me repeat that here for you. George Plimpton was describing a poem whose subject matter was the antiquity of intestinal microbes. And the poem goes as follows. Adam had him. George Plimpton was a very amusing character. Uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful documentary called When We Were Kings about Muhammad Ali's fight with George Foreman in Zaire where George Plimpton makes a number of memorable appearances. He made quite a number of memorable appearances um, all over the place. He would always seem to be on television having a very precise and elegant story to tell, which he, of course, told so well. Plimpton was considered a, a central figure in American letters. He helped found the literary quarterly The Paris Review in 1953. The magazine's place in the literary world was secured when he published such emerging authors as Jack Kerouac and Philip Roth. It was uh, noted for interviews with people like Ernest Hemingway and William Faulkner. But I guess what put George Plimpton on the map was his participatory journalism, where he would live out people's fantasies by trying to pitch to Willie Mays, trying to, uh, to run a scrimmage on the Detroit Lions uh, during a halftime show, and uh, he actually swung from a trapeze for the Clyde Beatty's uh, circus, got in the ring and, I guess, boxed with Archie Moore, and apparently got his nose broken in the process. He wrote about such antics in books like Paper Lion and Out of My League, and it delighted millions. Um, um, I'm sorry to see that he's gone. George Plimpton, thanks for, uh, thanks for what you gave us. Let's do some lighter fare. We were sent an email uh, this week from Chris, who noted that last year we talked about the so-called Sports Illustrated Curse. We decided on this program that uh, it's pretty hard to make a case for a curse. But Chris points out that apparently the Oregon football team graced the cover of Sports Illustrated last week and then promptly went out and got beaten by Washington State, something like 55 to 16. So I guess there's still, the jury is not completely out on the matter of the Sports Illustrated curse. And Sharon sent us some very amusing uh, things here in this email that I think I need to share with you. These were some humorous comments of late on um, some of our current affairs. All right, from Craig Kilborn. They're saying Arnold will get 55% of the vote. At least that's according to his brother, Jeb Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Jay Leno, here's how bad California looks to the rest of the country. People in Florida are laughing at us. Like we pointed out two weeks ago that I got news for Jay Leno. People in Argentina are laughing at us. Argentina, the nation that gave, that gave the world Juan and Evita Perón, the nation that invaded the Falkland Islands in the 1980s. I mean, these people know about bad governance, and they're laughing at us. Uh, Bill Maher on the, on the election. Finally, he said, a candidate who can explain the Bush administration's positions on civil rights in the original German. All right. Uh, <laughs> from Jay Leno. The White House released a videotape of President Bush meeting with his cabinet. And today... Iraqi officials say they believe the tape is authentic. 
All right. President Bush, I guess, took a, a vacation recently. David Letterman had a few comments on that. We're all excited, said Letterman, because President Bush has started his 35-day vacation. He's down there in Crawford, Texas, and on the first day of his vacation, he went fishing. He didn't find any fish, but he believes they're there and that his intelligence is accurate. <laughs> Letterman, the White House says that the vacation in Texas will give President Bush a chance to unwind. My question is, when does the guy wind and lastly, from Jay Leno, President Bush has refused to declassify portions of the congressional 9-11 reports about the Saudis because he says it will help the enemy. No, not Al-Qaeda, the Democrats. There's a lot going on in terms of uh, this issue of um, battling terrorism and the classification of data. I was sent an email by Eileen, which uh, points out the fact that um, last year, when the Bush administration was telling the world that the Iraqi weapons declarations were incomplete, the interesting reality of the situation was that the U.S. itself had removed over 8,000 pages of the 11,800-page original text. Now, Iraq had made extra copies of the complete weapons declaration report and distributed them to journalists in Europe. Keep in mind, this is like last winter. And uh, this story so far has still really uh, failed to really get legs here in the United States. You don't hear much about this. Apparently, the report of the uh, United Nations on this implicated 24 U.S.-based corporations and the Reagan and first Bush administrations in connections with the illegally supplying of Saddam Hussein with myriad weapons of mass destruction and the training to use them. This is an interesting story, and I hope that uh, we'll see more about it in the mainstream media. Perhaps the reason we haven't heard much about this report in the U.S. is that the groups documented in it that were supplying Iraq's weapons programs prior to the 1990 invasion of Kuwait included... Eastman Kodak, DuPont, Honeywell, Rockwell, Sperry, Hewlett-Packard, and Bechtel. U.S. government agencies such as the Department of Energy, Department of Agriculture, Department of Defense. Nuclear weapons labs such as Lawrence Livermore, Los Alamos, and Sandia. The report states that beginning in 1983, the U.S. was involved in 80 shipments of biological and chemical components, including strains of botulism toxin, anthrax, gangrene bacteria, West Nile fever virus, and dengue fever virus. These shipments continued after Iraq used chemical weapons against Iran in 1984. In 1988, Iraq used these chemical weapons against the Kurds. It might be noted as well that this uh, still not much heard from report mentions that the current defense secretary, Donald Rumsfeld, had apparently collaborated with Saddam Hussein leading up to the massacre of the Iraqi Kurds, and he acted as a liaison for the U.S. military during the war between Iraq and Iran. Now, this, this actually has service. This is not news if you've been following the story, but I just don't think it's gotten the kind of attention that it perhaps deserves. This is the sort of thing that Project Censored frequently brings up. We are going to try and attend the awards ceremony of Project Censored to take place in the Bay Area on Saturday, which I think we will uh, be happy to report on for you. It should be a very interesting evening. We're very pleased to have brought to you Michael Parenti on two occasions this year. 
Uh, Dr. Perini has been involved with uh, Project Censored, and we're currently working on uh, having the founder and, uh, I guess, a Project Censored uh, Professor Emeritus, Carl Jensen, uh, speak with us about this, uh, this most worthy um, uh, journalistic endeavor. Now, on this program, we've been frankly critical of the Bush administration at just about every turn. We think for good reason. We were saying a year ago that uh, a future war with Iraq was uh, uh, not justified based on what we're being told. It certainly appears that we were telling it like it was based on what has come out since. Now, the story that has Washington buzzing this week, you may have heard about this on NPR, on the web, in the newspapers, is the fact that apparently Karl Rove, senior political advisor to George W. Bush, is implicated in the leaking of some information to journalists, specifically to Robert Novak, regarding the wife of a man who was being openly critical of U.S. policy. The man is Joseph Wilson. He's a former ambassador during the Clinton years. Joseph Wilson was the man dispatched to Niger in February 2002 by the CIA after Dick Cheney asked the CIA to figure out what there was to this charge that Iraq was attempting to procure uranium yellow cake. He came back and said that it was bogus, there was nothing to this story. So, when George W. Bush used the Niger uranium evidence in his 2001 State of the Union address, Ambassador Wilson went public and said the U.S. was using evidence to support a war that they knew was patently false. One week later, Robert Novak reported that Wilson's wife, Valerie Plame, was a CIA operative. And it gets worse from there. Valerie Plame was apparently a deep cover CIA operative who was running numerous agents. Ambassador Wilson has said that naming her in this way would have compromised every operation, every relationship, every network with which she has been associated with in her entire career. This is the stuff of Kim Philby and Aldrich Ames. I hope you listened to our show last year with uh, UCD professor Catherine Olmsted. We talked a bit about Kim Philby and how he blew the cover on uh, numerous Western intelligence operations by being himself a Soviet agent. So this is quite a claim for the CIA to be making against the Bush administration. In short, in order to protect Bush from the ramifications of using fake evidence to support the war, his White House destroyed an intelligence network that was protecting us from the threat posed by chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons. You can see why Washington is abuzz over this. The Washington Post has broken a story reminiscent of the Watergate era that a couple of Bush uh, administration officials were on the phone calling up a half dozen journalists to blow the cover on Ambassador Wilson's wife in direct retaliation for the criticism they were receiving from Ambassador Wilson. The CIA is apparently not happy about being scapegoated for intelligence failures in the wake of the war with Iraq, when it's quite clear that all along their intelligence analysis was much more pessimistic and much more realistic than that of the Pentagon under Donald Rumsfeld. It turns out they were right, they were overruled, and then they were blamed when the intelligence was wrong. The CIA is calling for an investigation. The White House uh, claims they're going to look into this matter, but some doubt whether this White House is capable of investigating itself. They're demanding an independent investigation. God, shades of Watergate. If you're old enough to remember Watergate, this is bringing up some bad memories. Uh, 
Uh, the White House investigating itself in terms of leaks it's been accused of kind of reminds me of the old uh, National Lampoon Radio Hour when, uh, when Chevy Chase came out and was making fun of the FBI's self-investigation in the wake of Watergate and uh, came out with the usual uh, dramatic scene of the guy with the bullhorn standing outside the house going, all right, I know I'm in there. If I don't come out with my hands up, I'm coming in there after me. Well, I think that's quite enough of national politics for today. Let's uh, let's deal with the issue of what's going on in the state of California in our second segment. We're up against it on time here, so let us take a break at the moment. I am Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM.